0: Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year, that's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the app store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life
1: for yourself. I want to go forward with people in my life who have genuine relationships with me, who I have real conversations with, real connections with. And if this is a way that I'm gonna be able to like draw that line in the sand and anyone who doesn't want to come over this crazy journey with me, then that's fine. I will see you later.
0: Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45 and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, here we are at episode 136, in which I interview Georgia Yexley. Georgia is an inclusive, sustainable mobility expert and advocate based in London. Following the sudden loss of a loved one, Georgia went on a journey of self-discovery that led to her ADHD diagnosis. She wrote an open letter to her industry peers opening up about her experiences and her diagnosis and has since begun the process of integrating this new awareness into her business, Loud Mobility. Having worked with hundreds of cities across the globe on achieving their sustainable transport aims... Georgia now advises the public, private, and third sector on achieving inclusive, sustainable mobility. We talk all about the outcome of her public self-disclosure, her road to establishing professional boundaries, and how she manages work-life balance with her new business. Georgia shares how the best thing she gained from her diagnosis was a capacity for self-compassion she never realized was dearly lacking, and a greater awareness of how important it is to live in alignment with her values. Okay, here's my interview with Georgia. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I was really excited when I did a little bit of background digging on you and what's been going on with you for the last few months or years. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I've just loved your podcast. It's been such a godsend. And listening to all the other women's stories has been amazing and so relatable. So, yeah, thank you for having me on.
0: Aww. Um, Okay. Well, my first question is really what led to the ADHD diagnosis? So, what was going on in your life? How long ago were you diagnosed? And, you know, what were some of the moments that you thought maybe this is ADHD? I should look into this.
1: Well, the diagnosis is incredibly recent, so I was only diagnosed a few months ago, actually at the beginning of this year. Um, so very fresh. Um, but it's not the time when I was diagnosed was not the first time that I had thought, "Hmm, this might be ADHD." Actually the first time that I did raise it with a, a psychiatrist, actually, um, that I was seeing at the time. I had been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and a period of depression at that time. It was a really stressful time in my life with my family. There was loads of stuff going on. This was in 2017. And at that time, I was living in Beijing in China, which I'm sure we're going to talk about at other points during this. Um, but I, it didn't really sit right. I thought that mm, yes, yes, there's there's definitely some anxiety going on. I've definitely been, you know, ups and downs, but I just don't feel that's quite capturing the situation and and what I feel is going on with me. And I went and did my own research, um, as I think most people who come to this diagnosis <laughs> do quite a bit of. Um, and I went to the psychiatrist and I said, you know, I've been really thinking this is ADHD. I'm like reading all this stuff and I relate to so much of it and unfortunately at that time the psychiatrist kind of just laughed it off and was like no it's not ADHD it's generalized anxiety disorder you're just being anxious again here's a you know an example of your anxiety playing out I thought "Oh, okay well must be that Um, and I kind of just put it aside I still thought it I still thought it and then actually over the last couple of years again it was kind of coming back up for me and it's just been through this real kind of constant changing in mood, constant needs to be doing stuff, constant restlessness, just going through job after job, burnout after burnout, and thinking, "God, this is I was this is ADHD." <laughs> like I'm certain this is ADHD at this point. So about uh, well, it must have been last year. I did um, finally get around to reaching out to my GP. Um, And went through a kind of initial assessment process. Um, I should say that I'm in the UK as well. So it's probably clear from my accent. But I'm now in London in the UK. So I'm dealing with the, the NHS services at this point. And I go to my GP. They did the initial assessment. And were like, oh, yeah, you need to get an assessment done. Unfortunately, in the UK, getting an assessment can take at least two years, if not more, for a lot of people. And so I kind of just thought, okay, well, I'll find out in two years' time. Unfortunately, um, it came around a lot sooner. And I say unfortunately because the reason that I ended up getting my diagnosis is that I went through a really difficult time. I lost my best friend very traumatically, unexpectedly. It was really difficult. I was dealing with just immense grief. Definitely now have accepted the anxiety and depression that has come with 31 years of undiagnosed ADHD so that was playing a part as was the trauma and I just went into overblown overdrive doing 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 not connecting with my feelings at all and eventually had a complete meltdown and at that point sought out help ended up seeing a psychiatrist who by pure chance and in some ways luck ended up being an adult ADHD specialist so when I was seeing him, I mentioned, oh, you know, I'm on the wait list to get an assessment. I didn't know at that time that he was a specialist. I said, I'm on the wait list to get an assessment. And he said, oh, well, uh, funny you should say that. <laughs> this is my specialism. And, you know, when you're a bit better in yourself, we can do an assessment for you. Um, sorry, it's such a long story. It's kind of, you know, bizarre. So please do. <laughs> jump in because I can talk for England, honestly. Um, So we did the assessment. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this kind of know how that goes, very kind of long interview process. And he kind of said to me, there's a few things that I'm looking out for in the inattentive, a few things that I'm looking out for in the hyperactive. And he said, "You, you know, you could say there's kind of nine boxes in each that I'm looking to tick. And if you tick, you know, five out of those, we would be looking at maybe giving you a diagnosis. So you pick seven in both. So for sure, this is what's going on with you. And I, I, I don't know, I think I've he- heard on here and speaking with other friends that have shared their diagnosis since. Even though I had thought it for years and I was so convinced myself that that was what was going on, actually hearing it and being given that diagnosis Was just huge. It was immense. And I'm still going through the process of processing and all the analysis that comes, all the reflecting on all the footage of your life that suddenly is available to you. And it's just been an incredible journey since then. But I would say that diagnosis, it was a relief. It was validating. It was a lot of amazing things. But it was also so overwhelming uh in a way that i didn't even expect or couldn't couldn't really expect before it happens so yeah only a few months in but it's a pretty long-winded story to answer just your first question
0: it's fascinating because it really is like you said it it sort of hits you in these waves right of realization especially just going over the whole course of your life as an undiagnosed human and and how that affected you and and what your relationships were like and all of these seemingly random things that that all seem to suddenly come together and connect in this very very convenient way and so on the one hand it's really really overwhelming to look back through this life you know and and it, through this new lens it feels so profound but at the same time you're met with all of these present day questions about, you know, oh, everybody thinks they have ADHD nowadays, so maybe it's something else. Am I misreading this? Am I making excuses? What is and isn't ADHD, right? So I think there's like all of those questions that are also hitting us at the same time as we're getting this diagnosis and feeling like suddenly everything makes sense, right? Like it just feels like it fits in a way that nothing else does. But then at the same time, I think so many of us deal with that, that feeling of like, well, could this be something else? And, and that's why I think, you, like you said, like the hearing it and the validation from a professional is so important. Like, I think, you know, we often talk on this podcast, like, is a, a professional diagnosis important? There's such a long wait list. There's so many barriers to it. Do we really, really need it? And I think one of the biggest uh, valid, you know, one of the one of the biggest reasons for getting it is that validation.
1: Absolutely. I think it's really right to have that discussion about is that what's needed to, you know, start figuring out what you need, how you need things to be to be supported and to be able to kind of accept that, you know what, I know myself better than anyone else. And actually, yeah, if in 2017, I had thought, you know what, I know this is ADHD, I don't need validation of this psychiatrist that I'm seeing, maybe, you know, maybe that would have been a few more years with a little bit more support in place but there is this debate going on it's kind of annoying to even call it a debate in the media in the UK um globally I guess about ADHD people self-diagnosing on social media I've definitely realized that you know when I'm just, I've been really open in sharing my diagnosis because for me it's been like oh I can explain everything like this is yes this is me. right? I'm th- that's fine. I'm happy for other people to know because I feel like it helps me to navigate this process that I'm going through of trying to unmask because a lot of what I've realized is that I was really good at masking for the last 31 years and that's really actually problematic and it can cause a lot of other issues. But anyway, off topic. <laughs> so in the UK, there's this debate going on and so people would ask me when I would kind of share, I did get a lot of people kind of coming back and asking me, um, so how did you get your diagnosis? And did you see a psychiatrist and all that stuff? And at the beginning, I was very like, I, w- I would kind of um, say, yes, I saw a psych- what I told you, you know, I saw a psychiatrist, he's actually a specialist. And, you know, this is the details and like really sharing my business <laughs> and honestly, now I'm kind of, you know, I feel much more in the camp of, it's part of me, you know, I tell people regularly, when I feel like it's necessary to the situation, I have ADHD, sorry if I interrupt, whatever it is. But I don't really care (laughs) if you believe it, or get it, or if you just want to say, I don't believe in like, medicine and science that's fine that's a you problem that's (laughs) like that's completely a you problem that's you know so I do less kind of explaining now when I say I've got ADHD and the question comes how did you know because I have it
0: Yeah, right. And I think that's something too. I, I hear that often from women who are diagnosed. And then the you know, there's like, how do I explain to my partner? How do I explain to my family what I'm going through? And nobody believes that this is ADHD. And, uh, you know, people are really feeling very dubious. And they don't think that this is it. How do I explain to them? And my I'm always like, you don't like that's like you said, that's that's a them problem. You're not going to explain this. This is really an explanation for yourself when it comes to who you are and how you operate in this world, and and you know it's a lot of answers for why you maybe were the way you are, and it's an opportunity to reframe a lot of that stuff. But like, yeah, in terms of in terms of acceptance or explanation, that's that feels like uh, you'd be Sisyphus to really try to try to try to tackle that.
1: Right, and you know who the people are in your life that when they ask questions. They're really looking to discuss the information with you versus challenge. Is this for real? You know, I have had family members and friends that ask questions around, oh, but you know, you were quite good in school. So how does that work out? And they're not challenging the diagnosis. They're just trying to understand, like, what does that mean? Does that mean there's something different about your ADHD? And I'm like, well, actually, a lot of people, you know, and I have, I've been doing that research and I'm like, actually, I read this here. And, you know, a lot of people have that experience. And then all of a sudden they meet a a moment where it starts getting really difficult in different areas. And then I explain my own experience. And what I found is that a lot of those experiences, when I explain them, friends, family members, people that are close to me are like, oh my, what? Like, I didn't know that was going on with you. I didn't know, like, you just stopped being able to do math in GCSE a year they just didn't know because i was so good at masking and i was you know spent all this years of time trying really hard in things i was really struggling with not understanding why and just working 10 times as hard and you know everyone's saying to me oh you know it's so you you're so relaxed you're so strong-willed and independent and all these things. I'm getting praised for masking. So then I'm just doing more masking. So it's a lot of work to undo that stuff now.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, that's so beautifully said, right? And just in terms of how valid, you know, how much social validation we get from showing up as this, like, competent, altogether person. And then, you know, having this, like, I've talked about this before on the podcast, this, like, duality of of our experience in terms of who we are to everybody else versus who we feel like we are behind the scenes and how it really is such a a process of, of unpacking all of that and being like, what would it look like for me to just show up as my authentic self in these moments? Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the adhdlounge.com. Again, that's the And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD in women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy to access, self-guided and self-paced course, so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Now you had, you did a really very public unmasking so to speak on linkedin in january right so walk me through what happened you you were leaving your role in your company and this was uh you just wanted to kind of talk about the diagnosis or what was happening with that with your the article you posted
1: yeah i mean it was um it took me a little bit of time to kind of come to the decision that that's the way i wanted to go about things um You know, I I mentioned that, um, you know, I was going through this very difficult period dealing with loss and trauma and all of these different things. And I was prior to that. My role was very public. I was a very vocal person, often spokesperson for my company. I was writing a lot. Um, doing a lot of events, podcasts as well in my in my place of my space of work. So I, I work in sustainable transport and I've done that in a number of companies, in <laughs> a number of roles for the last six years. And I've really it's an area of work. Well, actually my, my work is where I've landed now is one of those things where I feel like, you know what, pat myself on the back. I actually really did do something positively there because I followed my passions and I followed my skills into something that I genuinely love to do. So I, I was this very kind of visible person in my industry. And so me going just completely silent at the end of last year, and not saying anything for about three, four months, didn't fly under the radar. I had a very full inbox loads of messages on LinkedIn, all, all this work stuff. And my my company at the time was so helpful, so understanding, really supportive um, as I was going through the process of kind of the self-work that I needed to do at that time and just the support and peace that I needed. Um, and it, it was a very, uh, I, I was in a fairly senior role. I was general manager for the UK and Ireland for the largest micromobility operator. So it was very kind of high pressure job, which I was not able to do. At that time so I stepped back and they were very supportive but as I started kind of coming back to myself and getting the support I needed I had had the diagnosis I was doing a lot of kind of self-work and really thinking about how am I going to go forward now and I knew that I wanted to continue going forward in this industry in this um, world of sustainable transport I knew that I still felt that I had something to give and something positive to add. And so then I was thinking about, okay, how do I, how do I step back in, in a way that is genuine, that is authentic, that isn't just brushing this all under the carpet and acting like nothing happened and, you know, having to just keep masking all of this stuff. That's where I started kind of writing things down. And at the beginning when I started writing, I didn't have any intention of sharing it publicly. It was just like writing down thoughts, what's happened? What do I want to change? What do I want to do? How am I going to go about it? And as I started writing it down, it felt like, okay, actually maybe this is the way that I can just move forward. I can put this out there and that's almost like a line in the sand of this is who I am. This is what's happened. Here's how I'm going to go forward. And it also was an opportunity for me to put in a boundary, which was quite quite a new thing that I was learning how to do and say, I'm not going to be working, even though I, I ended up working, but I said, I'm not going to be working for the next three months. I'm going to be exploring this area of the industry that I love I'm going to be speaking to friends and colleagues about you know how I might continue to go forward but for the next I kind of said when I put this article out I'm going to have this time in the next three months so I'm not going to be as responsive and wanted to give myself some more space and not having that anxiety of just the inbox is getting fuller and the messages keep coming so yeah I I put out this article that explained all of this and and somewhat kind of jokingly called it mask off which was quite fun and I shared it with my partner and my mom and my sister and some friends as well before I and actually my former boss and before I put it public and just got feedback from people like is this oversharing is this too much is this okay like what do you think what what are your opinions on this and nobody gave me any edits it was unedited all my words, all my my thoughts, and I just put it out there. And the response has been incredible. And I'm so glad that I did it. Because it does feel like I can now step into conversations with people who maybe saw me in a really different light before that and say, this is what I need, actually, by the way, I'm really sorry, I'm going to make notes the whole time. Because I need to do that to feel like I'm catching things or whatever it is. I feel confident being able to ask for what I need. And the response I had was unreal. I mean, so many people came back to me like, I've been thinking I might have ADHD. I do have ADHD. My kids have ADHD. Um, You know, just uh, I've dealt, I, I recognize those patterns. And this is a really hard industry to work in sometimes. And just this real openness and huge amount of support from my network that also again was really validating of I have done some things well despite not knowing this diagnosis I have navigated a place of work and made real connections with people on this shared interest and people see they do see this kind of authentic me even if there's little bits that I'm masking here and there they do see the, the genuine passion that I have for this this space and so that was really wonderful. I only had one, I did have one annoying response, I have to say. And it was so annoying. And it was from, I hope he's not listening to this because he knows who he is, but it was from this guy. He has ADHD, this gentleman. Um, he works in the cycling industry, similar to myself. And we've crossed paths before. Um, and it's all been very cordial and fine. Um, and he kind of he he just did this thing of like projecting his um anxieties onto me and he said what he said was he said oh um you should be aware that oversharing is actually a symptom of ADHD and you might want to reflect on whether it was a good idea for you to share your diagnosis in a professional setting because who do you think companies will want to hire georgia oh in fact he said who who do you think companies will want to give that twenty pound budget to is it going to be georgia or is it going to be georgia with adhd like my first reaction was just rage obviously (laughs) so i was like don't tell me what to do first of all but i i you know i thought okay reflect on it don't respond immediately think about like why that's come back this is his own anxieties I really spent a bit of time before I replied and I just said like you know um I actually do have quite a bit of experience of what it is to be in an underrepresented group uh or demographic in this industry I'm a black woman (laughs) I've been working in this space for a long time I'm usually one of one so I have some experience being other. I'm pretty fine with it. And to be honest, if that's the decision-making that a company is taking, that rather than my experience with budgets 10 times the size of that, then I don't want that job. <laughs> so thank you for your advice, but also no thank you and never speak to me again, please. So it's like the only one, it was so annoying that it had to come from someone else at ADHD, but it was just like, You know, you don't know my experience. I don't know your experience. Thank you for your opinion, but keep it for yourself.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it really does speak to that fear. And like you said, that anxiety about how it is, you know, needing to show up as somebody who is flawless, right? And then, you know, that's what we're talking about with masking, which is like, how do we how do we? accept in ourselves that we can be vulnerable, we can struggle, we can struggle with mental health, we can struggle with burnout, we can struggle with boundaries. These are things that many of us struggle with. And it doesn't make us any less competent uh, and extraordinary at what we do, right? And how can we be both of these things simultaneously as opposed to feeling like we are somehow, you know, that that vulnerability is somehow a fault in industries. And so, uh, you know, and I think it's a conversation we have a lot on this podcast about like ADHD and being a superpower and that positive, you know, the toxic positivity about refusing to acknowledge that ADHD comes with a lot of very nuanced traits and and I don't even want to just keep saying struggles because I think a lot of it is really just it's it's part of who we are it's part of that fabric and I can see why somebody would have somebody with ADHD would fear that like pulling back that curtain is somehow going to, um, you know, is somehow going to reflect on, you know, how we're accepted in society. Right. Sort of same with parents who, who are afraid to diagnose their kids because they're worried that they're going to be treated differently and all of that. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I had that fear, like, let's be real. I wasn't, just fearless post the post the thing, and everything's gonna be fine, and nobody's gonna make any judgments, but I accepted it. I thought, okay, I am afraid people for sure, the people that are judging this and thinking, oh, I don't really believe or whatever it is, whatever they're thinking, negative things that they're thinking are not the people that are sending me messages, so I don't need to like I don't need to deal with those people and I kind of thought that through and thought how do I want to go forward was I want to go forward with people in my life who have genuine relationships with me, who I have real conversations with, real connections with. And if this is a way that I'm going to be able to like draw that line in the sand and anyone who doesn't want to come over this crazy journey with me, then that's fine. I will see you later. And it w- it was, there was fear there, but I, yeah, there was an acceptance that i have faith that it will be better for me to just push through that fear and I think I actually wrote that in the article in the end saying like this is scary but I'm pushing myself through the fear of this because I need to do this and that's that's really how I felt about it at the time and now
0: (laughs) this episode is brought to you by loop earplugs Loop earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop, or in your office cubicle, or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly and your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his engaged kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com womenadhd. That's loopearplugs.com womenadhd, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. So in true ADHD fashion, you decided to take some time off and accidentally founded a new business.
1: (laughs) It's so funny because it sounds like a joke, but that's literally what happened. (laughs) It's like, oh no, I accidentally started a whole business. Like, yeah, that's really what happened. It's it's pretty bizarre. (laughs) Uh, So tell me a little bit more
0: about Loud Mobility and... and what is this the organization, and also um, how do you feel like you're kind of going at things differently now, having founded this with this new lens about yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean it's been an incredible process. Yeah, I mean where to start? I so I said I was going to take this three month career break. I called it. I said I'm just going to you know chat with friends and uh, colleagues and you know people in my network about what i might do next and i said this thing of i might not be as responsive you know um but if you fancy a cuppa and a walk or a bike ride whatever like let me know um so quite a lot of people did let me know which was great and i ended up just having a few months of just really amazing conversations with really interesting people and i thought oh god how do i make this a job (laughs) so because I, I was like, I'm just loving this. Like I'm talking about stuff that I really care about. I'm connecting with people that share the desire to do something in this area. That's a... And I was starting to see that I was able to have these conversations with people because of that vulnerability that I had shown, because of that honesty. And I was having discussions with really senior people in transport, in the cycling space in the third sector, the private sector, the public sector, every walk of life, and a lot of those conversations would end up steering around and 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 steering towards even this kind of missing piece that was there in the micro mobility sustainable transport place, search space even um, so what it was, and throughout my career i've been very vocal about the industry needing to do better about inclusion, accessibility, equity, it's been an area that I've spoken about a lot. I have no credentials in DEI other than my lived experience and often being the only person in the room speaking to these things. Um, but I do have an incredible network of really incredibly experienced people, researchers, policymakers, all sorts that I really do have incredibly rich experience but the missing piece that there often is is for those big missions and the things that you really need huge amount of support and really kind of high level strategy to achieve the big mission stuff like how do you make the transport sector more sustainable more inclusive it's not in the private sector alone it's not in the public sector alone not in the third sector alone, and if they're all doing different things, it's happening way slower than it needs to. What you need is all sectors working collaboratively towards these bigger picture missions, all shared value creators, and like pushing these bigger picture things forward. And in my career in the last six years, all of the roles that I've been in have required a lot of collaboration across all of those sectors working with local governments, national governments, the Department for Transport. Um, internationally, I've been doing this as well, because uh, for a lot of my career, I wasn't just h- kind fully of really focused on the UK and Ireland, but more recently, I've been very focused on the UK and Ireland. So really growing that localised knowledge. And so I thought, okay, well, I can do that. I can be a translator and help for those cross-sector projects where there's loads of stakeholders involved and it's really complicated. But success for the project is one of these bigger picture missions of how do we get more people cycling? How do we get more demographics of people cycling and active and you know accessing green spaces and these bigger picture things? So And there are a lot of projects, like it sounds made up, but there is so much work in that space that just needs people who are really energetic and really, really passionate about seeing that end result come about. Um, And so as I started kind of getting into more of those conversations with people, these projects and, you know, real work started to materialize that. Fit into those categories. So currently, my main project that I'm working on, um, so I'm working with a charity, incredible charity called World Bicycle Relief. Um, Now they provide bikes to people in rural communities uh, across largely the African continent and Latin America, also largely to women, girls, and it's usually for access to education access to healthcare, to community. They also train mechanics um, to, you know, really actually establish that ecosystem at a local level and not have that kind of saviorism that happens in some charities that are working in in those continents. Um, And they're really doing some incredible work. Um, And they have secured an official partnership with one of the largest cycling uh, events internationally that's happening this year um the uci cycling world championships which also is happening in scotland and the scottish government are investing 40 million into this it's a huge tourism aspect it's happening in cities all over scotland so it's exactly the type of project there's a huge number of stakeholders it's Public, private, and third sector, and the whole mission that we're working towards in delivering this project is putting out this message and awareness of the power of the bike, and saying, "Look, all of you, all of this huge amount of people that follow cycling sport and believe in the power of the bike, and recognise how impactful it can be. Also, look at how impactful it can be in access to education, and transport, in healthcare." in really changing the world in so many ways and tap into that market as well to like really see the bigger picture of the power of the bike and get involved in that bigger picture of moving society, moving that cultural social shift towards, you know, a little bit more positivity about cyclists, which I think we could definitely use in the UK and in most places. So yeah, it's that, that type of work. That's one of the bigger projects that I'm doing at the moment. But I have ambitions for where I'd like to take loud mobility in the next few years at the moment it's a one woman show but it won't stay that way for long and a lot of really cool partnerships and collaborations that I'm kind of working on behind the scenes with friends as well um so it's 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 been incredible um but I'm also I I'm saying this and I'm like it sounds like oh my gosh crazy amounts of work um but actually I've, I've really taken um a very conscious step to balance my work that work life balance. I was never very good at that. Um and I'm I'm really working on getting that better as well. So actually working on more of a freelance project basis at the moment and being able to work on my own time scale. And when my brain switches on, I can work and that's fine. And when it's not, I can sit and have a cup of tea in the garden and that's fine. It's that in itself has been a game changer. I'm just so much happier as a person because I don't have to sit nine to five in a location, which normally I'm just going to be hyper-focused for that entire time. And I haven't eaten and I haven't gone to the bathroom and I end the day just like empty. I've brought a lot more balance into my life. And um, the one thing that I'm promising myself I won't give up is that I no longer work on Mondays. And I, if I never work on a Monday again, I will be a happy person.
0: Right, um, that was so fascinating, too. I really I mean, it's just such a interesting world, and um i I think it's such important work too. and I think it's been really interesting to think about like advocacy and you know following something that we're really, really passionate about, but like what are the boundaries that we can keep in place so that we don't end up in us in a place of burnout? And it was so you know, like you said, like feeling like you're empty at the end of the day and and I found too, like i i hit burnout um with with my own career just being so excited about wanting to say yes to everything and and it was a real interesting and eye-opening experience for me when i did kind of have a moment of, of where where i had like a health crisis as a result of the burnout and i had to stop everything and like i've been practicing saying no to so many more things and feeling like by saying no to things i'm actually being like much more Productive. Like I feel like I'm actually experiencing and accomplishing so much more the more I say no to other things. And I'm like, it's so addictive. <laughs> it's
1: becoming really addictive. Yeah, it feels really good. It feels good. It genuinely feels good. And it's it's like, oh my gosh, why haven't I been doing this? You know, like what on earth? And I will say, like, freelancing and working on a project in, this, in that, set, or running your own business, it is a little bit of like danger zone. You can really easily just get completely, that's all you do the whole time. But I do think it also gives you a, maybe a little bit of that capacity to say no, because I've had, and you know this is a common experience for women of color in any industry. I'm, I'm like, there's a lot of people nodding their heads before I'm even saying what I'm about to say. But a lot of people will approach me with Mm, can you work on X, Y, and Z? And I say, sure, here are my rates. And they're like, oh no, we thought, you know, they're uh blah, 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 or whatever, right? Basically, they don't want to pay me. And when you realize when you're running your own business and you are freelancing, you have that connection between your time that you give away for free is time that you're not getting paid for. And so when I was in a job full-time. I'm getting paid that to work somewhere week after week and I say yes to do something for free like write an article or go to an event or speak on a panel that's fine because someone is paying for that time my company are paying for that time and I'm doing something valuable for the company so it's fine but when I'm working for myself and somebody asks me to do something for free that's time that I can't get paid for doing something else. So you actually get this a little bit more connection between how much you're saying yes to things that you're not necessarily actually getting value back into your business or into yourself. <laughs> and it gives you just a look, another layer of analysis. Like, actually, I really do have value for my time. Uh, here's what it is. It's written very clearly. It's the same for everyone. And you know, if that's not within... Um, reach for you then that's fine you know maybe we won't work together on this one thing and of course there's flexibility because when there are you know things that you want to put your heart and soul into because you really do care about them that might be lower on the scale of you know I want to be able to like take up a paid project (laughs) instead of this because you believe in what you're doing but you know most of the time when people approach you to do something for free it doesn't necessarily fall into that bucket anyway. (laughs) (laughs) True. The stuff I want to do for free, I do myself. I choose to do that stuff anyway. (laughs) Right? Exactly.
0: 91% of midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit and, and ask you about, you know, looking back over the course of your life, because as we often do, were there some things from your, either from your childhood or maybe, you know, ending up in Beijing or some of those things where you're sort of like, oh, the signs were so clearly there all along?
1: Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying so hard not to laugh because it's like my whole life, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's just insane. And that was the overwhelm that we were talking about because I had that moment of like relief and validation. And then it was almost like the next couple of days after getting the diagnosis, I was flooded with memories, all these thoughts of all of these different situations that I was like, oh my gosh oh my god what like that is so clearly like what the hell it was just this constant thing and it almost felt like as well that it kind of unlocked a part of my brain that I don't know if I buried stuff in there or if I just wasn't understanding it therefore I didn't like reapproach it or what the situation was but even like memories that I probably didn't remember before suddenly started resurfacing so it's almost like all of this footage that I was having to scroll through and go through and kind of analyze again. And it really has been everything. I mean, I'm still going through that process now of sifting through, you know, my experiences and where it has affected me in the past. And this is both positive and negative as well. Like I should say that I think there's, I mentioned, you know, I have been able to look back on my career and be like, do you know what you you made some good choices. You chose to leave things at the right time. You chose to follow interests and that's put you into a place of, you know, really being happy in your career um, and feeling supported and confident about starting your own business in this direction. So that's a great thing. And I can reflect on some of the ways that ADHD has played a very big role in me moving in that direction. But then also, yeah, there's stuff that's just like, whoa, that was a meltdown. (laughs) Like, I can now, I can now accept and take responsibility for that instead of just not understanding it and being like, oh, just forget about it, just pretend it never happened. You know. So there's a lot of that that you're going through, and I, I, you, I look back on my childhood, and in fact, even when I did the assessment one of the questions was about, you know, your ch- you talk a lot about your childhood. and I said, oh, I don't really remember that much. And apparently a lot of people say this. They're like, oh yeah, I just like don't really remember. I was like, I, I think I remember being like eight or something. Like, I don't really know. I just, I'm not sure what's really a memory or just what I've been told. Like my memory of my child is very poor, but stuff has been coming back and it's stuff like, oh, um, I don't know if you had this, but when you're in primary school and elementary, you have these like trays where you put your work and it has your name on and everybody has their tray and everybody else's tray was always just nice and neat and tidy. And mine was just overflowing all the time. That was just stuff like, Falling out of my tray, and it was this thing where you know the teacher would be like Georgia, like why you just tidy up the tray? And I was just thinking like, oh, but I've just done, I've done loads of work, so it's fine, it's great. Like I feel good about my tray. I don't understand why it's a problem that my tray is overflowing. But then you know, over time, it, the more somebody's like, can you tidy your tray? You tidy? Then you take on shame for it. Where before I was like proud of this full tray and you know all this work I've produced without having to be asked for it um so yeah I mean that stuff starts coming up there was a period in my life I must have been about 10 or 11 years old and I've told people about this before and now I'm even laughing like how could I have not how could I've gone under the radar where I just had this overwhelming urge to cartwheel all the time and I remembered like doing trying to do a cartwheel like in the middle of a zebra crossing when walking home and people around me just being like what is this child doing and the worst part is i like i didn't even know how to do a cartwheel so it wasn't a good one <laughs> it was just like all over the place and so that stuff is coming back and that for me is a little bit of a double edged sword because they're kind of funny memories but then people say that a lot of girls and women fly under the radar because they tend to be inattentive and i'm like i was so hyperactive if i was a boy for sure I would have had a diagnosis, like for sure. There's no way. And I'm so confident in that. And so it does then bring up all of that, you know, what ifs, could things have been different, blah, 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 all of that stuff that you still, you know, you have to work through. Yeah. Even other stuff like that hyperactive stuff where I would be in school. And at the end of the day, I would be walking home with friends. And because I've been masking and repressing and trying not to fidget all day, I would like, Run up the hill, this huge hill on the way home. Run up to the top just to like get this burst of energy out, and then wait for them. And they're like, "Just so weird. Like, why do you always do that?" And I don't know. I just like just think I need to run, and then I run. You know, it's just little things like that that are just dead giveaways. So that's been really funny. And then even just every stage of my life, I'm like, "Well, this there's big giveaways." You know, through university. I studied a subject that I really enjoyed. I studied philosophy. It wasn't my best subject, but it was the most interesting, which again, great choice. Pat yourself on the back because you did enjoy your degree because you picked something that you cared about and that was interesting. But I hated seminars and I didn't know why. They gave me crazy anxiety to the point that Years after university, I was having nightmares about seminars and missing seminars or being in seminars because I wouldn't go and then I would feel bad about not going because I didn't know why I wasn't going. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's everywhere, it's everything, it's all my experiences. It's showed up in some way. And so when you're going through all these years of footage, it's like even where there's those good bits and you can say, oh, you made a great choice and it worked out for you in this way there's still probably something there as well when you're struggling and you didn't know why and trying to navigate the world through completely the wrong lens. Um, and that was the the big thing that I think I said to friends and family after getting the diagnosis, they were like, you know, how has it felt? And it's like, it's felt like I've been walking through life up until this point with just completely the wrong lens and looking at myself through what I think other people see and think of me because I haven't been able to understand how to understand myself. But then getting the diagnosis was like all of a sudden being given the right lens. And it's not only like going forward with the right lens and being able to understand yourself, how you're moving forward in life, but it's also looking back and being like, I actually see now what was going on and with that that gave me a capacity for self compassion that i didn't even realize i didn't have until i suddenly had this ability to be like you know what that was hard for you like that was really tough what <laughs> that was like really difficult and you know you survived and you did your best and just that level of self compassion that i've never experienced that has been amazing to be able to you know, now have that in my life. And I think, you know, that's something that's so big for a lot of people getting their diagnosis that it allows you to accept and it allows you to to have that compassion.
0: Oh, beautifully said. I think, you know, it, it feels like so often we're just treading water madly. And so we don't have a time, we don't have the opportunity to evaluate those and, and have and stop and ask ourselves those questions of am I struggling? How much am I struggling? And it is, yeah you know, when, like you said, when we do get that diagnosis, it's really this opportunity to say, oh, I'm seeing this through this t- different lens. And yeah, like, wow, you really did work hard. Like, I remember, I've, I've shared this story on the podcast before, but when I was getting my diagnosis, and was talking to my doctor about all of the elaborate systems that I had in place so that I wasn't late and so that I didn't lose things. And like all of these stereotypes about ADHD that I was like, no, that is not a problem for me because I do all of these things to avoid it. And she was like, you work really, really hard to just show up. And I was moved, you know, I wanted to cry in that moment because I hadn't really thought about how hard I had been working in all of these ways. Right. And it's because we're just treading water so much. And, and I think what is so frustrating, because so many of us are, are diagnosed with depression and or anxiety before ADHD, what is so frustrating about those diagnoses is, you know, the experience that you had with the psychiatrist, which is like, no, 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 it's just anxiety. And there's no like, well, where is it coming from? What is causing it? Right? Like, it's not like we just caught anxiety, like you catch the flu. Uh, <laughs> but it's presented to us in this like explanation of just being like no you just have anxiety and then it's so aggressively unhelpful that like we end up even more upset and frustrated and anxious about like okay well now what do i do and so it really is so much of that like working backwards and unpacking all of this and and really the grief of of saying like wow like acknowledging how hard we were working, and then being able to say, okay, now what, you know, how do I help myself now? How do I acknowledge that? And how do I have that grace moving forward? And and then that's, you know, and I think like we were saying, like, that's when you're able to really kind of start uh, leaning into some really the powerful things about having an ADHD brain and and going after and accidentally starting new businesses <laughs> and all of the like, crazy, awesome parts about it but being able to do it with, with a sense of balance and awareness so that we're not constantly in this cycle of, of burnout.
1: Right. And I think it's so true what you said about kind of the repercussions of having the other diagnoses without the ADHD context and how much more that can kind of compound the other diagnoses because I, I think what I've reflected on in that is I've always felt like I, I can't, I couldn't really accept those diagnoses before because I felt like it wasn't quite right and I'm like there's something else wrong with me and I don't know I can't accept it fully therefore you can't really work on recovery fully either and with the wrong lens as well on top of that when you are going through things like therapy I did CBT therapy I did all kinds of different stuff I was trying different things but it never felt like it really it just never really hit because I wasn't doing it through the right lens. It was almost like I was going through the motions of what I thought the therapy should be for someone with a non ADHD brain who has anxiety and depression. So I was kind of just like going through the motions, but it just never really hit. It didn't actually touch the sides because it missed this entire context of the ADHD. And then now when I've been doing therapy, all different kinds, one on one, group therapy, all these different things. When I hear something that I'm like, "Mm, actually, for me, distraction isn't a great technique, and I can kind of self-advocate and be like, "Mm, I don't know if distraction is for me. And you know, oh, you know what? You're right. Like, this is probably not the best one for you. But actually, here's a different coping skill that you can use. You know, there's it's a completely different approach. When you have the right context, you can, you know, accept also these. Such a, I think you've said this as well before, just like horrible word, comorbidities or wh- whatever. You can accept them in a different way when you understand how they're connected with the ADHD.
0: Well, and you're also empowered when, when you realize that you are not the problem, that it's the approach or the system or something is not working for you, but you are not fundamentally the problem then you can say, you know, this actually doesn't work for me, as opposed to like, oh, I have to work harder. I have to try harder. What's wrong with me that this isn't working? You can just immediately be like, nope, that's not going to work. Try that. Let's try something else.
1: And then keep internalizing that I'm broken. Something's wrong with me, instead of being able to have the language and context to advocate for yourself.
0: Yeah, totally. I know I used to I mean, one of the things that drove me crazy about my uh, having depression, uh, anxiety and depression diagnosis for so many years was feeling like, what's wrong with me that I insist on constantly being depressed when I'm like, I have a good life, you know, I've got great kids and a great marriage. And like, why am I so depressed all the time? And I used to feel like, like, that was one more thing I had failed at. <laughs> <laughs> was, was like, you know, that I, so yeah, it's so important to have that, that like ADHD knowledge and that ADHD affirming approaches to how we even deal with therapy. Right. Yeah. <sighs> My goodness. Um, so wow, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and now I'm, uh, I, I always like to ask if you could rename ADHD to something else, would you call it, do you have something else you would call it?
1: Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me this and I honestly have been like, I can't stop thinking about like, what would what this be? I've come up with so many things, it's ridiculous. But I just first of all, tried not to make like a really dark or <laughs> joke about it or something. <laughs> like, I think my family, like in general, my sister in particular and I, we we tend to, our approach to acceptance of periods of poor mental health is just like humour and just really laughing about the craziest stuff um so yeah I'm trying to be thoughtful and reflective um so I would probably get rid of all the pathologizing just generally and just be like it doesn't really need to have a name because we live in a society where people have different brains there is not a reality of a normal brain that we're somehow missing the mark on like people have different hair people have different skin colors and also people have different brains surprise surprise you know like it's like does it need to be that crazy we just I would probably just change that's like a lot easier just change society instead of the name of ADHD that was like my first thought um <laughs> but I to be fair it is connected with some of the the space that I work in because I've learned a lot about the social model of disability and I would encourage everyone with neurodiversities, various disabilities my ADHD is my disability. I had said to a friend before I posted that article actually that I was ex- I'm so excited I'm announcing my disability tomorrow and she told me that was the most ADHD thing I'd ever said um, <laughs> but um, no the social model is that we're, we're disabled by this, the society around us not providing a space where we can be able as able as anybody else so it's the societal aspect um so that's kind of my head goes that way immediately but yeah I mean like and then I just would go back to humor of like I don't know like crisis disorder or creativity disorder or like sorry, I'm late syndrome or something like, (laughs) sorry, I forgot syndrome. I don't know. You know, like I just been cracking up about those ones for like the last however many weeks of just stuff that will pop into my head. Like that's hilarious. So I've like got a whole list of those in my phone. So I'll send those to you later. (laughs) But um, yeah, I just think, yeah, change society. Don't change ADHD. It's actually great.
0: Uh, (laughs) um, perfectly said right I don't know I kind of I wanted to come up with a post of like all of the weird phrases that we've googled before getting an ADHD diagnosis like you know of like
1: why do I forget things all the time or (laughs) yeah oh no please (laughs) like nobody needs to see that (laughs) like that needs to lock and key nobody's ever seeing that from like if somebody was to see my Google search history, that would be incredibly <laughs> distressing. Honestly, it's it's not for public consumption.
0: <laughs> Maybe we should just call it like multiple calendars and planners syndrome or something. But
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Paper everywhere disease. <laughs> like. like. <laughs> i'm saying this with like paper all over my floor right now so it's like... <laughs> but yeah uh, there's there's loads of funny ones and i feel like that's cool just like what's the point why does it need a name
0: yeah right someday maybe someday <laughs> yeah.
1: although i would the only thing actually i am like joking about it but i would say i think it was really helpful for me getting that diagnosis because the diagnosis Allowed me to access the care, support, structure, also medication that I needed. And I think when you need something more to be able to manage life in a way that works for you, then a diagnosis can be helpful. If you don't need a diagnosis, you don't have to get one. (laughs) That's totally fine. You can just, if you feel like you've got the right coping mechanisms in place, you've got the right support in place, medication is not for everyone. Then, like, do you need a diagnosis? Like, probably not. So, that's all I would say about it. Like, having a name for me, giving it a name has helped. ADHD comes with all kinds of assumptions and whatever. I don't really care. The main thing it's done for me, getting that name of ADHD, is unlocking the right support. And so, I'm happy to, I've got ADHD, I'm disabled still the same person.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's why I love to ask the question because I'm like, I don't have an answer, but I've always, you know, I'm fascinated by that discussion of like, it is in many ways, calling it a disability is important, but at the same time, is it also pathologizing? And, you know, there's so many questions around that. It just, you know, attention deficit is such a terrible name, but um, what would be a better name that many of us would have related to? No.
1: Like it's just like, attention regulation would be more accurate, right? Because it's not like we're missing attention. It's just like difficulties regulating it. I don't know. It's not even quite it. But that's not
0: what led me to the diagnosis, right? Like I wasn't like I have an attention issue. Well, I, I think it was more of a focus issue than anything else. But like, you know, I'm always trying to think about like what would be, what are some of the ways in which we really have that like, oh, okay, this all makes sense moment
1: i mean i i definitely saw the uh we can see when you're suddenly thinking about something else in your head and not part of the conversation anymore in many 360 reviews in former companies so i was like oh my gosh they can see
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Georgia. It's been wonderful hearing your story and, and this kind of Phoenix rebirth, I think with, uh, with loud mobility. Um, and it often feels like that for me, I think, with this diagnosis and this experience is that I, you know, I sometimes joke where I'm like, We never come to these diagnoses because we're like, everything in our life is going great. I want a name for this wonderful superpower. Usually we have uh, something, a real, really serious, difficult catalyst that brings us to this point of self-discovery. And so, um, yeah, I feel like I'm so excited to follow Loud Mobility and some of the amazing work that you're doing and... Uh, So the website is loudmobility.co.uk. Is there anything else? Anywhere else that people can find you on Instagram?
1: Yes, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. I mean, like, I love talking to people. I'm all about people. So that's great. And I'm certainly incorporating my a d h d just need to do a million different things at the same time. I've just like this headband is actually loud mobility and it says my my motto, which is never sit still' which is very accurate. I feel like it's like i'm embrace I'm embracing you know and I'm embracing this constant motion that has been in my life and it's it's very relevant for mobility for the mobility industry, so yeah, I've got all my merch coming on there, new stuff to drop soon, of course. But it's only like, I just like, you know, just do whatever you feel like doing. And it's been really nice to be exploring that. So yeah, Loud Mobility, you can find me all over. But also Georgie Exley, you can find me as just me as well.
0: Well, I'll have links to all of that. Now I sort of feel like maybe Loud Mobility is a good candidate for what to call ADHD. Love that. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, we'll have to think of some ways to fill in loud as an acronym, but I think it f- it's I think it sums up the situation pretty well
1: well, yeah, and i mean i I use loud mobility because it was also reclaiming this kind of label that was attached to me forever, you know being loud and talkative, and uh, I think, like, yeah, I am loud that's what I'm here for <laughs> right.
0: Well, I feel that way about the term oversharing. So, for whoever that was on on LinkedIn who called it oversharing, I'm like, there's no such thing as oversharing. Uh, <laughs> I was like, don't read
1: it then. Like, why did you read it? <laughs> you don't have to read it. <laughs> so weird, but still, you know. <laughs> um. Uh,
0: well. Thanks again. It's been really. Uh, it's been really lovely getting to chat with
1: you and hearing your story. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's been so nice talking with you and thank you so much for your podcast and all of the other women that have shared their stories I mean it really has been a really important part of this recovery and processing understanding journey for me it's been really wonderful to listen to everyone else so huge thanks to everybody that came before this
0: oh thank you Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com/podcastguest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now a year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time-blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the app store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself.